1: You are an absolute huge advocate for women entrepreneurship. And so it is such an honor to have you on here today. I'm excited
2: to be here with you. Hi, boss, babe.
1: Yes, I love it. I was so impressed. Like, it's funny because I actually saw you at Speak at Create and Cultivate. And I was so impressed by what you were sharing that I literally stalked you afterwards and came up to you and I was like, can you come on the show, please? (laughs) (laughs) This is true. (laughs) That's <laughs> true, exactly. So <laughs> everyone listening, you have to put yourselves out there. And the reason I did was because you were talking about a topic that I feel is really not well known in the industry that I was coming from as an entrepreneur. Like you were talking about things that I didn't know a lot about. Talking about different ways to get funding, and traditionally, I think we think about funding coming from VCs and private equity. And you were really sharing a different way and what government initiatives were actually doing. So before we dive in, I just want to share a little bit about your background with our audience like, so that they know where where you're coming from and your expertise, because you were the former head of the Office of Women's Business Ownership at the U.S. Small Business Administration. You actively funded the largest expansion of the Women's Business Center Network in the history of the SBA. You were also presidentially appointed assistant administrator for the U.S. Small Business Administration. And you also advise on the deployment of $1.2 trillion in funding. And we're responsible for architecting programs, distributing $200 million in funding in various ecosystems. And now I know that you're with MasterCard as their executive in residence, but you know this puts you in such a unique Position to really share the different ways that women can leverage government and corporations to finance their businesses in the early and the late stages?
2: Absolutely. So, you know, first and foremost, happy Women's History Month, right? And so this conversation is uh, so timely, even around the fact that the fastest growing entrepreneurial segment in this country is women. And to your point, you know, I think we've spent a lot of energy and time understandably, because there's continued to be uh, gaps around access to venture-backed funding for women entrepreneurs, Uh, less than, uh, I think it's about 2% of, or now 7% of VC funds actually go to women business owners. But the reality of the fact is that nearly 99.9% of all businesses in the United States of America will never receive venture funding. And they're still going to do well, right? And so I think it's very important as we learn about and hear about VC and private equity and angel investment and understand that model that we also honor and understand the traditional ways in which businesses can attain access to capital and even monetize their their endeavors to reach the million-dollar-plus mark, right? Um, so you can get there many, many different ways. So if I could... You know, just take kind of a a couple of, of chunks of wisdom that I have from experiences, both from being in the government space, but also in nearly 15 years of my own entrepreneurial pursuits, where I I started and led a, a multi million dollar business that I actually put in a trust and transferred when I went into the administration. And it's this: the first thing around accessing capital is to have awareness and understanding of how and when you will be monetizing your small business and its services and or products. Essentially what you're doing when you're quote accessing capital is asking someone to provide you with funding. And the only way they're going to do that, and this is even in your real life, right? So let's not make this more difficult than it needs to be. No one's going to lend or give you money if they do not think that they're going to get their money back. These are just like fundamental 101s. And the question of when are you going to pay me back is one that you'll get from your girlfriend. And it's also one that you're going to get from a bank. And it's one that you're going to receive from a VC investor. You have to be in a position to understand how you are going to be able to repay that money. And in order for you to do that, you have to be able to monetize your business services or offerings. Monetizing means that you're producing revenue for your company. And I honestly will say, one of the biggest challenges and again, we we you know, before we even get to like going and talking to an investor or before we get to talking to a bank, it's do you understand how you can turn a profit with this company? And one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making is that they do not properly assess the totality of the inputs that are required to produce X, Y, or Z, a widget or a service. And oftentimes the most overlooked thing is your own
1: time. I love that. I think you're actually really hitting some really core points that are so important, like you say, with regards to that time. So carry on. I was just- (laughs) Yeah, right.
2: And so it's like, okay, you you like baking. You want to open a bakery. Fantastic. Let's do it. You know how much the ingredients cost. You have the price per unit of the the cupcake. Fantastic. But it's not finished until you've actually put in labor. And you start with your labor hours. And then you can also build in a buffer. And a lot of women are building service-based businesses, which is why this particular conversation that I'm having is very important. You also need to build in a buffer in funding and financing that allows for you to be able to grow and scale the company. Because if you can only pay for yourself, then that means that you are not in a position to start saving money to bring on someone else. So true. Service businesses have this challenge and retail businesses have this challenge. Once you come up with that real true price, now we can actually start talking about accessing capital. And I say this because I personally feel so many people start that access to capital conversation the other way. They go talk to people before they understand what it actually costs them to do what they're doing. They go ask for money before they have a true understanding of how much they actually need. And on both ends, no one is giving you money for free. See, the difference between the friendship example that I gave you and a corporate America and or venture example is that there is an expectation of a return on this investment. So you're not just paying a loan back or paying the investor back. You're giving the investor and or the bank back interest and or gains. So how can you monetize your business in untraditional ways? And this takes us to talking about contracting in the government and private sector space.
1: And before we start on that, I think this is going to be a real eye-opener for a lot of people because, again, this is what I saw you speak about a lot. And I I had never even actually, you know, being from the UK as well, I hadn't even heard of the SBA or really understood what they did or even how the government actually did support small businesses. So I think this is going to be some really insightful information for a lot of people, particularly when, you know, over and over again, we hear these conversations about raising from VC is being so traditionally much more difficult for women, particularly women of color as well. So these untraditional ways are not being discussed in my, you know, the circles that I'm in enough. So I would love for you to share what you've learned from working at the SBA and with the government and, give those insights to people who are maybe have been rejected. You know, one of the stories I hear so often was like women going to VCs and the the men being like, oh, let me ask my wife because they don't understand the products that, you know, if they're particularly creating a product that's going to service women, like they, they're they not the, av- the people in control of the money and not the avatars. So they don't get it. They're not the you demographics. Know, right? so they don't appreciate it. So when people are coming up against this over and over again, I think it's good to have this conversation around like, what is available untraditionally that might help you get your business off the ground when perhaps you don't have people who really understand the product just yet.
2: Exactly. Or maybe you just don't want to receive their funding anymore. Right. Because that's, you know, and, and I'm going to get to your question, but the truth of the matter is receiving venture is receiving investment and it's an establishment of a relationship with someone. And I think sometimes when we're, again, in positions where we are so in need of the funds, we don't give consideration to who we're receiving the funding from. And all money is not good money because all partners are not the right partners for you.
1: I always say... Money isn't actually equal. Like a dollar from one person is actually a different value from a dollar from the other person. So all money is not equal, is what I say. Absolutely. And
2: it's also about wise capital. Wise capital is partners who can actually bring additional value outside of the investment, the just dollar value, because they are wise. They have experience, industry knowledge, they have relationships. They bring social capital. These are things that you should be looking for when you go talk to your VCs, your angels, and your other investors. You want wise capital, not just capital. You want wise capital because they have everything to gain from your success. You need more than just their money in order for you to be successful for them. But let's go back to, this is such a great conversation because, again, I think accessing capital can take you in so many different, it can take you in so many different directions. Government contracts and corporate contracts. This goes back to monetization, okay, which is a fundamental component of accessing capital. So the federal government is the largest procurer of services and products in the world. I'll say it one more time. The federal government is the largest procurer, and that means purchaser, of products and services in the world. I oftentimes like to use an example of a woman that I met who used to make lingerie. And I think I may have used this example when I was at the Creating Cultivate conference. She made lingerie. And we had her in a meeting with some government agencies. And it was like, well, excuse me, I make lingerie. Like, what am I doing here? There's no connection to the government space at all. But the reality is there is in the army, they have to procure undergarments in some of the uh, spaces where people are living or are housed. They have to procure undergarments. And so she went from doing business with Macy's to also doing business with the department of defense through all the different arms of the federal government that have to procure undergarments. And it was just like, no one would imagine that you would be able to go from lingerie at Macy's to like providing undergarments. I'm calling them undergarments. I don't imagine that they mm-hmm. want them to be called a lingerie while they're doing active duty service, but it's the same thing. Right. And so if you are in a position where you are offering marketing services, communication services, The federal government also does business with marketing agencies, ad agencies, communication agencies. Do you make food? The federal government procures food services for all of the spaces in which they're responsible and obligated to provide food for whomever it's for, right? So I've also seen catering companies have government contracts to provide food services For anything from active duty military to schools and universities that have federal jurisdiction. So you have to think in your mind, anything that you buy to maintain your home is also something that the federal government would also be procuring from some type of business. Anything that a company, for example, like a MasterCard would be procuring in order to keep their business alive and to keep their business operational is the same type of service that the federal government would be procuring. Now, this is an opportunity to gain access to contracting vehicles through certification. There is an opportunity for uh, 5% of all federal contracts are set aside for women. 5%. 5% that's represents billions of dollars of government contracting opportunity that is made available for women. In order to tap into that, you have to be certified. Now what a certification require, it just requires that you have your paperwork and documentation. Same thing that you will need to go after a loan. Do you have your balance sheet? Are you incorporated? Can you share your articles of incorporation? Who's on your management team? And what is the pricing that you have for the services that you are going to offer? Because that is the contract that you're going to enter into with the federal government. I'm taking this somewhere because this all connects to each other. The pricing matters to get a government contract. Your pricing and potential for revenue and monetization matters to get a loan. Your pricing and ability to go to market with your product matters to get access to venture capital. It is easier to obtain money when you have demonstrated that you can earn money for your business. And there is an entire white space that exists for many women entrepreneurs that is doing business in corporate and with government agencies. Now, how do you get all started in all of this with a a contracting piece? You have to have, again, your DUNS, your EIN, you have to have all that. But you can go to grants.gov, GSA.gov, and start looking at contracts that are coming out or that have come out or that are out right now and put in your keywords, undergarments, apparel, food services, communication, and any contract that has that as something that is part of it will pop up. Now, it can be laborious, right? But so too can going after and meeting with 100 venture capitalists, trying to talk, getting on planes, trains, and automobiles to go have a sit down meeting with them for them to talk and to you to say, hey, let me, let me go talk to my wife about that. So No money, there's no fast way to success. So let's be very clear about that. You're going to have to work for this on either side. But I humbly believe that it is important for businesses to diversify. Because when you have private sector partners, private sector funding, and you have generating revenue, you are in the best and the healthiest position that any small business can be in. And you then have the leverage to go after whatever you want. It's easier to ask for money when you don't need it than it is when you do.
0: Amen to that. That is so, so true. Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years, and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches, no matter where you are. Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash bossbabe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash bossbabe, masterclass.com slash bossbabe.
1: I also, I think what's really just interesting, I think a lot of people um, will have listened to that and been like, wait, what? The government, you can do contracts? But I, I love about that thinking outside the box. Like mm-hmm. when, you know, when COVID in 2020 really started like coming into full swing, we always, we had this saying like pivot, don't pause.
2: Mm-hmm. And I feel
1: like as we go into this next economic climate, there's going to be a real shift in like how people are going to be doing business and where like that diversification of not relying on one marketing channel That's or not right. relying on one big customer or not relying on just this one thing. And I think that diversification of this is really, really important I want to ask you, like you spoke about like white space and you spoke about, let's just be grounded a little bit. Like how much competition is there with, you know, winning some of these contracts with the governments and realistically, how long can they sometimes take to go through? I hear what you're saying around like, you know, it's like choose, choose your hard right? None of it, building a business is not easy. So it's choose your hard. Like you can go and raise some of these VCs or you could literally go down that route. But I would love to kind of put a, a little bit more context into that.
2: Absolutely. That's a great question. Okay. So let's talk about timeframes. So one, to get your certification, you can expect that to take anywhere from three to six months. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's going to require three to six months. You have to have your documents. You have to submit your documents. They have to review them and they have to approve and say, I approve that this is a woman owned small business. So we'll be very clear and realistic about that. During that time, that does not mean that you can't be trying to go after government contracts and corporate contracts, because I'm doing both of these at the same time. We're talking about the same processes that are used for one or used for the other. It's called corporate procurement. And just like in government, they have offices that are focused on engaging with women. The uh, Women Business Enterprise Network, WeBank, has hundreds of thousands of women entrepreneurs that come to their national conference every year to do business with Fortune 500 companies. So the opportunities exist there. Mm
0: -hmm. Once you
2: get your license, it's just a license to hunt. It does not guarantee that you are going to enter into the wilderness and find your deer, right? And secure your deer. It just means you now can enter into the open park space. It can take you anywhere from a month to more than a year To obtain a contract and here are strategies to get you there faster number one all contracting offices government and for-profit have a threshold for which money above that has to go through a different process Mm
1: -hmm.
2: money below that can be approved by the purchasing officer and other otherwise put Natalie, as an employee of Organization X, has authority of up to $100,000 to just make a discretionary, I need to do business, I need a communications consultant immediately. And I just, I have three people I know, I'm gonna ask them to submit their information and I can make a determination based off who I wanna go after just with those three responses. Or if you ask me for 101,000, now I've got to put it on the federal registrar, the state registrar, or the local government registrar, or my corporate registrar. And now thousands of small businesses may have access to be able to apply if they're aware. I may have to keep it open for nine, uh, for, for three months so that everyone can get their materials together to have the equitable opportunity to apply. So a sweet spot is understanding what the purchasing power of a procurement officer is, and if you want to start dipping your foot in the water of contracting, you want to start below that threshold, because the big key thing here is past performances. If you know that they have again a hundred thousand, they can do ninety nine uh, they can do ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Don't come to them with a $150,000 proposal.
1: Yeah,
2: Come to them with, you know, up to nine, 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 nine. Because they can make a decision faster. And then you get to say, hey, I've done business with organization X, Y, and Z. So while your certification is being processed, you are now getting clients and past performances. Because the moment that you get out into the wilderness, what you're doing is baby hunting. So now you get out into the real wilderness and you've already already gotten something. So it's easier to uh, form alliances. It's easier to have conversations. It's easier to begin relationships because you've already obtained a contract, which means that you already started to understand how the game is played and the rules of the game. Same thing in corporate America. Same thing with a bank. Let's say you go to talk to a financial officer. They have authority and jurisdiction to make loans up to half a million dollars. You want a million dollar loan. Why would you go in and talk to that person?
1: I think this is, Really, like p- powerful in like the art of the game. It's like yes. know the ge- know the rules of the game that you are going into play. Don't go, don't start on the game board when you don't know the rules. Like, go find it so you can put your best pieces down in the right places.
2: Yes, absolutely. Because what that does is saves you your own resources. And when I say resources, I mean it in every capacity from your financial resources. Again, planes, trains, and automobiles tracking people down, trying to get in contact with them, You know, labor hours spent trying to pitch people things that they're not ever going to be able to purchase from you, but also your personal resources of your energy, your enthusiasm, your health, your wellness. I mean, hearing no is something that you have to get fully comfortable with, but it also does take a lot out of you. So if you can reduce the number of no's that you hear simply by doing more research on the front end, then let's do that and protect your own personal health and wellness. But that, again, goes back to something that I said, Danielle, which is there is no easy way to get here. It requires work on every end. But this allows you to start having the diversification that you need. That government contract may you know, in a time of peril, like we just went through, may stabilize you during a moment where you need to have a baseline of funding, a baseline of monetization, a baseline of revenue, so that you can start building on top of that. That's how you do this. A business is built just like a home, brick by brick by brick by brick. And sometimes you know what you don't do is drop all the bricks on the dump site, and and just think that someone is is going to build the, the the premier home. Yeah, that's not how anyone does construction. You bring it as you bring it with as much as you can handle at that time to protect both the products that you need to to build the home as well as the individuals who are building the home. And I think most people and, and right now want to run to success and think that they are ready for a million dollar contract when they don't even have the operational infrastructure for a hundred thousand dollar contract. And that's the brick by brick by brick. I know we all want to feel the sense of validation of saying, yes, I've run a seven figure business and, you know, but hey, if you can manage $10, you can manage a hundred, a hundred, you can manage 10,000, 10,000, you can manage a million. But if you can't manage 100,000, you can't manage a million. And so which one do you want to lose? I'd rather you lose $100,000 and learn the lesson on business management and access to capital and financial management than for you to get a million dollars today and not know how to manage it and blow it.
1: Completely. And I think that's such an important conversation have like you know don't take on more capital than you need and sometimes like you need to like like say building those blocks um i want to talk about the sba and loans that were available via the sba um because i also you know i actually didn't even realize this was like a government's you know service that if your business does need loans let's say you're being buying out a business partner or let's say you're looking for capital there's actually sba loans that you can apply for correct
2: yes so, SBA has billions of dollars in loans through a network of almost 5,000 financial uh, partners that they provide. And they provide loans for everything from actual physical building and equipment. So, you know, anything from, you know, you want to build a business, you want to outfit a business, you want to start that bakery and you need industrial sized cooking equipment, you can get a loan for that. You're starting a beauty salon you need industrial equipment for that you can get a loan for that. Um, that's a 504 loan to you are just looking for working capital for your small business to assist you as you continue to grow. That's a 7a loan and um, these are all and then also if you're looking for less than about a 150,000 that would be considered a micro loan. And sometimes you start with the micro, then move to the 7A, then go to the 504. And 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 how would that work? Well, you just got started, you're going after a, a micro loan to get you some addi- some initial working capital. You now all of a sudden you strike it big, you've done very well, you know, you've got your, you know, 6-7 figure contract or your 7-figure clients or 7-figure revenues. Now you want more capital. You go after 7A. Oh, you want to buy a building now. You're ready. Then you go after the 504. These loans are offered at banks and you want to go into your bank and say, hey, do you all have any SBA loan products? So where you don't get this is from SBA. Where you do get this is from a financial institution. But you have to know that these products exist to ask for them. And then what you can do is understand if this particular loan product that is made available by SBA through these financial institutions is more in alignment with what you're looking for than what maybe a bank may offer you because a bank will all, always offer you their products first. They're always going to tell you about their products first because that's actually where they make you know their profit. But they're also, if they're a partner with SBA, They're also prepared to offer you SBA products, but only if you ask for them. It's like going shopping at a luxury boutique. You only know about the second floor if you ask about the second floor. And that means somebody has to tell you that the second floor exists. But once you know the second floor exists, you can always walk into a store and say, hey, I'd like to go to the second floor.
1: Oh my God, I love that. (laughs) it's but that's so true and like that's why i really do this podcast because i'm like people are not taught like if you're not in the right circles you don't know this stuff correct i was like wait what about the sba like i didn't even know this loan and i i don't know if i don't know this like so many people don't know this i also want to ask like now you've transitioned you've been at mastercard for the last year and you know they also do a lot of support for small businesses what are things that corporate companies that you might not even think about like I know Amex have their like, you know, small business thing too. Like a lot of corporate companies do things that you might not even realize you could leverage as a small business owner.
2: Yes. So small business and entrepreneurship is um, so important to our global economy right now. And it's a great day to be an entrepreneur. So let's just start and end there. Right. And with that being said, so many organizations, uh, corporations, have established even digital platforms to allow learning about these opportunities to be more accessible to a wider array of of aspiring and existing entrepreneurs. At MasterCard, we have a product called Digital Doors, which is just digitaldoors.mastercard.com. And it's an entire portfolio of digital courses that allows you to learn about everything from access to capital to scaling your business. There are also credit cards that exist that have Perks for your small business, everything from travel perks to other business offerings, discounts on business products like Adobe, like, you know, uh, MailChimp, all these different things and bundles that you need to be successful in your small business. It is important for you as a small business owner, as you go through your process, to establish credit for your business in addition to building your personal credit. Your personal credit does matter when you begin the journey of starting uh, credit access for your small business. So I've seen a lot of people online talking about how you can just go file an EIN and then all of a sudden go get a loan. That's not how this works. Your social security number is going to be asked for because at the end of the day, if there's no credit history on the business, you're essentially kind of the person that's saying, hey, I validate that this is true. And they're going to look at you. So, until you get to a point where your company, where you're managing enough money and they see how you manage it in your entity, then they start establishing a score for your business, just like they start establishing one for you. Okay. So, I just had to throw that out as a misnomer. Um, and so, there are, are uh, accelerator programs that exist. Entrepreneurship incubator programs that many uh, uh, companies have. Uh, There are small business discounts that uh, companies have. For example, uh, Meta and others have social media uh, package bundles that they have partnerships with organizations focused on specific communities, in this instance, women entrepreneurs, uh, that they may offer discounts on, how you could go about engaging on social media and using advertisements. Same thing with other companies. So I would really, again, I would do as much due diligence. I would type in the name of the company, woman entrepreneur plus opportunity and see what pops up. If you can't have a conversation with someone. Have the conversation with Google.
1: <laughs> or ChatGPT, too. Now. <laughs> oh, yeah, <GPT. laughs> oh, my goodness. This was so good, Natalie. And I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of, I think you just told everybody that there was a level two. And yeah. my guess is most people listening to this didn't know what was on level two or that there was level two because. Just going back to like, you know, how I tiptoed up to you after your talk at Create and Cultivate, because I felt like that. I was like, wait, what? Like I had no idea these things existed. And, you know, I just having this conversation, hopefully you might not necessarily by listening to it have all your answers, but now you're like, wait, I want to know more about level two. Like, take me to level two and let me poke around a little bit more. Let me ask the questions because I didn't even know I could ask these questions. And I think that's where there's power in one this community and power of women sharing this this knowledge because this knowledge equates to wealth this knowledge equates to more women getting their businesses out there growing their businesses understanding how to leverage business to get the loans that they need to grow it so i'm just so so grateful for you sharing these things with us today um i would love for you to share like where people can follow up with you like where can people find you um social media handles etc.
2: Yes. So. So you can find me, uh, you can go online and find me on Instagram at nmcofield, C-O-F-I-E-L-D, or uh, on my website, nataliecofield.com. You can check out the MasterCard Digital Doors program at digitaldoors.mastercard.com. And, and look at all the kind of different initiatives that are there. Uh, at MasterCard, we also have a $25 million fund called Strive which is providing um, grants and resources to entrepreneurial ecosystem partners. So you might also want to check out some of the organizations that they have funded and we have funded there to walk into their centers and spaces and ask these questions, right? And the last thing I'll say is, you know, having created the largest expansion in the history of SBA of women's business centers, I will I will forever be remiss if I don't mention the power of the women's business center network with the SBA, which is now located in every state in the United States of America and in Puerto Rico. Uh, and you can walk into a women's business center and sit down, have a one-on-one conversation for free with someone to talk about everything from putting together your profitability models and pricing, which goes back to the beginning of the conversation about access to capital to how do you get access to these government contracts Um, and ways in which you can start positioning yourself best for that. And then I want to say one other thing, which is what you just said too, which is, this is the moment to use this time to get as much information as you can. It's again, I go back to, it's easier to ask someone for something when you don't need it. For example, It's easier to ask, how does the process for XYZ work when you're not pitching to get a contract for XYZ? You're just inquisitive about how it works. People are more willing to give you their time in those instances. Use this time to understand the rules of the game, because there is a game and a rules structure for every single way in which we operate, specifically in the space of small business. And ask people for moments of their time, do your due diligence on them, do your due diligence on what you're asking them about. And then the best compliment you could ever give, because many women ask, how can I get mentored, 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 is to follow up, but follow up not on just saying, hey, thank you for your time, but follow up because you took the advice that you received from the person. That makes them then feel that their time was valuable investing in you.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for that. note. I think there's, um, a lot of wisdom in that last, that last sentence too, which I hope people hear and take, you know, action on. We're also going to put all of the links that you've mentioned, because I feel like there's a ton in the show notes. It's just going to be like blue <laughs> right now <laughs> all of these, all of these places that you can go to. But honestly, Natalie, I really appreciate you sharing it. And I, I, 100% know that businesses and women's businesses will be impact not only from this podcast but for the work that you're doing because you're such a huge advocate for women entrepreneurship and you know from one woman entrepreneur to another I'm like extremely grateful for everything you do for us because your impact is across the country and on a huge scale and you're such an advocate and I don't think that goes amiss so thank you so much. Thank you I'm
2: excited to be a boss babe.
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <we're laughs> nice <having you> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed this episode on the Boss Babe podcast then I'd absolutely love it if you'd leave us a review. As a thank you, we'll send you our Side Hustle Success Kit. Your simple, no BS guide to keeping track of everything that you need to do to start and grow your business. To access this freebie, all you need to do is leave us a review, then share a screenshot of your review with contact at bossbabe.com and we'll send this must have kit straight to your inbox.